Hello and welcome to FSM the Podcast. My name is Christian Anderson and I host conversations with creatives in the greater Fox Valley, Wisconsin. This podcast is edited by Logan Lamers with music by Antone Crow. In this episode, I'm chatting with Alex Schultz. Alex is the executive director of Sculpture Valley, a nonprofit advocacy group for public arts established in 2011 with a mission to restore, protect, and promote public arts in the Fox Valley. Since its inception, the group has worked with the city and community leaders to address the neglect of the city's sculptural memorial assets and successfully lobbied to establish a public fund in 2015 for future restoration and preservation efforts. Amongst the list of notable accomplishments of Sculpture Valley is the placement of the Houdini bust in Houdini Plaza. They curated the first five years of arts installations in the Houdini Tower and consulted on the restorations of metamorphosis near the Lost Street Trestle, as well as aerial landscape on Lawrence University campus. Sculpture Valley is working diligently to try to preserve the Hodsey installation in its current location. As a war vet, Alex is particularly concerned with the restoration and care for the city's war memorials, overseeing the full restoration of the Doughboy Memorial on Memorial Drive in 2017, and the current restoration of the Civil War Memorial in Soldier Square. He's spearheading the campaign to restore Soldier Square to a true memorial plaza, as was envisioned by the city fathers a century ago. Sculpture Valley also drove the campaign to establish the Ellen Court Peace Park along the Fox River waterfront and steered the design with the landscape architect. That's just one of the hats he wears on a daily basis. With that, here's our conversation. best place to be yeah right maybe a little early but <laughs> well I guess um but we're here to record a, the second episode of the FSM podcast and um Alex thanks for joining us here today well thanks for having me I really appreciate being uh in the loop on the early launch of this podcast I think it's really important to hear about uh, movers and shakers in the arts community in Appleton because we we just don't know enough about them so I'm, I really commend your work and huh. looking forward to talking to you thanks i appreciate that yeah yeah there is it's a huge community that i don't know like you said um it is a little underground i mean the music obviously is everywhere um in our city but still trying to find out what's going on with the visual arts that time that can sometimes be hidden but maybe not so much with what you do because what you bring to for the arts in our community is is very visible um, with Sculpture Valley, you're putting art right out onto the streets. How did you get involved into that, Alex? Uh, well, that organization began in 2011, and it was a it was a I guess a call from my buddy Rob Nielsen, who teaches sculpture at Lawrence, and he was looking to expand the the presence of public art in Appleton. And there was a at the time an NEA grant called Our Town, and it was you know, some 50 or $60,000 to, to create a public art piece and place it in the community. So we chased that grant, but one of the requirements was that we had to have a nonprofit or some community organization, arts organizations. And 
essentially we looked around and realized there were no community arts organizations aside from uh, what was then the Appleton Arts Center, um, but that didn't fit the mold. So we just said, well, let's create an organization and we'll, we'll use it to get some new art place in the community. We didn't get the grant, um, but in the process we realized that we had a lot of work to do in the community because we had a couple of sculptures that were missing. Um, at that time, Metamorphosis was gone, Aerial Landscape on the Lawrence campus was gone, um, and then just a, a cataloging of all the war memorials in town um, just realized they were all in pretty bad shape too. So it was a strange thing where we were going to set out to get some art in the community right away in 2012 uh, and realized we can't really do that right now because if we put new art out and don't take care of the stuff that's missing or gone, it's just it's not a good look. Yeah, so, um, so the community really, would probably look at it and say, why are we going to put this kind of money towards um, these sculptures? And you're talking fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, some of these pieces. That's, that's pretty expensive to get some art out onto the streets. And if things aren't being taken care of, people might not see the value in that sort of thing. Yeah, that's where our heads were at. Essentially, we can't go forward with putting new pieces out if we haven't addressed the old stuff and the, and the things that we need to take care of. So yeah. essentially, the first six, seven years of, of Sculpture Valley was like, starting the conversation with the city, who owns these things? I mean, it was a couple of years just trying to figure out, well, if it's a memorial in the middle of Memorial uh, Drive, is that something the arts, uh, the um, veteran organizations, the post that uh, sponsor initiative, do they still own it? Does the city own it? And there was a conversation that took a couple of years to sort of nail down and, and finally sort of come to the realization with the city, you know what, if it's on public property, the city owns it, and we need to create a policy to help take care of this stuff because uh, we just haven't been taking care of anything. Yeah. And that's the Doughboy sculpture you're talking about, the yes. one on Memorial. What was um, what was the history of that? Because it <laughs> needed to have some renovations done on it, correct? Oh my goodness, yeah, that had uh, that had probably the most sordid history of, of any war memorial I've I've uh, worked on. So yeah, it was hit once in. Uh, oh gosh, now you're gonna try and uh, see how good my memory is, but I think it was in the mid '80s uh, by a vehicle at that time. Excuse me. The lamplighters came together, they restored it, um, but they didn't quite know what they were doing and poured some concrete inside the sculpture to help solidify it. Well, that created more issues than actually solved. So, Yeah, I suppose putting concrete inside something in a climate where we're going to have a lot of expansion during the winter and whatnot probably would Not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty bad. So, yeah, we had to deal with that. Uh, they restored it. It was a number of years later where it began to crack. There was another restoration effort. Um, and then in 20, 2006, I believe it was, I hope I get my dates right here, but uh, the Post Crescent started a campaign to do a full restoration, and we hired a restoration firm that came in. Um, I think that number at the time was like $50,000. Spent all this time and energy to do a full restoration. It looked great, but we discovered a couple of years shortly after that was done that they didn't do the full restoration. Essentially, um, they filled cracks with epoxy and, and painted over it and did not do a full bronze chase and, and repair. So, yeah. you know, here we are. We've, we've repaired the thing three times, and we just, you know, at that point you have to say, look, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's spend the money. Let's get a full mold. So we we actually took it down and uh, sent it to uh, Max Cast Foundry, and they did a fresh cast on it, repaired everything they'd be done, and did a whole new solid bronze. So what's there now should last 100 years. As long as we, you know, get out there a couple of years, wash it and wax it. Um, and then the old one, we still have possession. Now we're trying to figure out where to go with the sure. With the well, and having it in the middle of a Memorial Memorial Avenue, which for people who might not be aware of, is is kind of a busy street. Hopefully, um, 
Oh, that was in the 80s that someone ran into it. Hopefully it takes a little bit longer before someone smacks it again with their truck. <laughs> right. Well, and this time, if it does get smacked and fall down, it's not coming apart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, part of it, and, and that's here's something that, you know, um, we don't even think about. The original sculpture was made um, in, I think, the 20, 1923 or 24, and it was at a time where it couldn't get a hold of some of the bronze material or the to make it so the the artist actually cast it in zinc and a zinc alloy which is really weak and really never should have been used to create an outdoor sculpture so from the start there was an issue with that that sculpture and if you look around the country and look up uh, doughboy memorials you'll discover lots and lots of these uh memorials that were created with this zinc alloy that have just been problematic over the years so yeah. we're not alone um in the story of of our war memorials yeah and you mentioned the metamorphosis. Is that the that was the Houdini sculpture, right? That was down in Houdini Square. Am I That's remembering that correct? The, yeah, the, the, the big. It's uh, kind of like a giant box that's starting to unfold with some chains that are um, suspended, as if um, Houdini is busting out of one of his um, magic tricks, and the box is just falling apart. That's that one, that's, correct? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, uh, and that one came out. About the time we, we began Sculpture Valley, I think it was 2010 that it was pulled, uh, when Houdini Plaza was redesigned. And at the time, there was sort of an ex- uh, knowledge that it was going to go back in the plaza, but the design sort of preempted the relocation of that work. And essentially, it was taken out and stored outside for a, a decade. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until we started conversations about, okay, well, we've got to put this thing back out. We can't simply remove it and not give the public... Um, a probable cause or a good reason for why we were not putting it back. So it took some time, and we, we had this opportunity at the Lost Street Trestle Project um, in that space mm-hmm. um, to have it put back you know, near one of uh, the historical markers where Houdini supposedly almost drowned. So just great timing with the opportunity because we didn't have to raise all the funds to, to restore this thing. And in 2015, we established a restoration fund with the city, so it covered... Uh, some of that funding, as well as the trestle project itself, covered a, a bunch of the actual site uh, development and design. So uh, it looks fantastic out there. I oh yeah, I think it's yeah. it's really beautiful. I, I, having those kind of sculptures out in the public space, I think is you know as an artist is is super important. Um, yeah, there's something magnetic. But I mean, trails are excellent. We're doing a really exceptional job with our trail system. But when you go down there and you see that public artwork there, it just really creates a sense of it's a real sense of space. Like this is something I want to walk by every day and I really want to enjoy this trail because I might be seeing more of these things along it. And that's, I mean, that's the the, the idea behind our uh, biennial sculpture exhibition too, is to place these things uh, out in the community, not just in a little space or, or along a street necessarily, but um, put them along trails, give people um, a little bit more of an artistic experience when they're, when they're out enjoying the trails, give them something to look at and um, really experience yeah because what you're doing is you know in the beginning you talked about doing restoration but you're doing so much more right now you're you're bringing in new sculpture to the community um this has been is this the third round of new sculptures that sculpture valley is bringing in now so this is actually the fourth season and we missed our we missed of course uh, last year's season we just put on on hold like a lot of public artworks did so yeah this is our fourth season we're we're pretty late in the season to get them going but yeah we're kind of heavy into it right now so how does all that work how do people um do artists like send in sketches of what they have proposed do they have the pieces finished um and how does that all get funded it, it can be a mix of that um you know this these programs where you're leasing art for a two or three year period those are pretty common throughout the country Lots and lots of communities do this, um, and artists take advantage of it because they can create large-scale pieces and then uh, you know lease them off for a couple of years. 
it takes some energy to move them around the country, but but they're making money on their works without necessarily have to sell them because, you know, a typical monumental piece is, as you say, it's between, you know, it can be twenty five to $75,000, and it's hard to raise that much money in a community, especially if you're looking to do more than one piece. So the the nice thing about the Acre of Art program and, and programs like it where you're, you're bringing in artworks is you, you pay $5,000, you get it for three years. Mm-hmm. And then if there's a case or someone who's interested in purchasing it, whether it's, it's Sculpture Valley or the city or, uh, you know, a private funding source, you know, if you, you've put some money into it already, you've got some buy-in from the public, uh, and then it's easier to actually sell the work. So we've, we've done that quite successfully, actually. I think we have um, I, close to 40 or 45% of the works that we've had in the first three seasons have been sold, and, and most of them are still here. So the, yeah. the program it, you know, works on those two fronts. You get to put some new art in the community, and everyone gets to see it, and then you know, if we like it or someone likes it, you get to keep it in the community. So we've, we've been... We're, we've been rather successful, more successful than I thought we would be. Well, that's that's um, fantastic news. And I, I think one of the pieces that it was a, a red, a, um, a metal sculpture that had a, a, a red um, surface to it, I think I saw show up in, it was either Kenosha or Racine. I saw it a couple, maybe last year on, on, the, on the waterway. So um, pieces might, if something doesn't sell, does it end up maybe going out on exhibition in another community or? Yep, that's usually how it works. Um, and, and for the most part, these pieces are already in existence. For that, you know, for $2,000 to $5,000 a couple of year lease, a lot of artists aren't making new works. They're essentially yeah. just leasing their, their existing works and moving them around the country. So yeah, the one we had in... Houdini Plaza, I think, ended up in Racine for a couple of years. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of, yeah. Uh, that was with Aziz Migdal's here, like a woman-like figure, a big red thing, which pretty dynamic in Houdini Plaza. Um, Modern technology. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's all right. That's okay. So, um, you know, you're putting these sculptures out in the public view, and I think that if we were going to have this little conversation... Um, we need to make sure we keep the public into it because sometimes, um, well, I'm sure you've had good <laughs> and bad experiences with the public as to the work that's been put out. Um, what are some of the initial reactions you've had to some of the work? And what are some of those, how have those reactions maybe changed over the span of a piece being up for two years? Do you see some of that calm down, or do you see acceptance grow, or a certain love for a piece, or maybe when something changes in our society, we see the work in a new light and start to, um, um, it takes on a new new meaning to us? How does the work, uh, how has Appleton, our greater community, accepted the work from um, Sculpture Valley and Acre of Art? I, you know, I think like anything else, uh, introducing something new into the, into the public space takes a little bit of, it takes some time to, to, for acceptance to sort of settle in. And we've had that with a couple of pieces. I mean, our very first piece was, was summarily removed and p- thrown in a dumpster, and that was, you know, the first piece we installed in 2017. So right out of the gate, we sort of had this sense, well, okay, this is going to be, could be a challenge for some people. And, you know, we didn't set out just to put um, what, yeah, I guess you can call it corporate art or safe art, um, something that just looks pretty but doesn't challenge you. So, you know, when we do the juried uh, selections of artworks, we're looking for things that are maybe somewhat more challenging than not. And that's how we ended up with the the collective, that large head uh, sculpture on College Avenue. We looked at it and said, well, this 
this is a great piece. Um, it's challenging, and um, I'm pretty confident we're going to hear something about it. Now, we didn't <laughs> necessarily anticipate the amount of uh, negative feedback we had on that work and what we had to do to, to sort of keep it in place, but, but it certainly sparked conversation and got people talking about public sculpture and its role in the community, and, and I think that's, that's the ultimate goal is to get people to have conversations. Now, you don't just want to place something that's um, heinous for the sake of placing it, but... Um, you know, we've we've done this work where we've we've got a really nice mix, and right now there's there's 22 pieces uh, throughout the Fox Cities, and you know, one or two of them might be, I guess I'd term them controversial for lack of a better term, but I think they're not controversial. I think they're conversation sparkers, is yeah. kind of how I think about them. So it's it's always a, a fine line. You know, public art differs from from going into a gallery. You're paying a fee, or you're walking indoors, and you're you're admitting yourself to a space where you might challenge. Public art's a little different because you're you're asking everyone to interact whether you want to or not it's there and you've got to deal with it so yeah I think we've gone through some growing pains with the public that piece is on public property and really you know do the private citizens uh, in the adjacent properties have a right to to you know sort of uh, negate the process or veto our ability to place art there probably not but it's probably a good thing to involve them in the conversation and say hey you know we're bringing some artworks to the community we want to let you know um, this is going in your backyard. And then if, if they want to, uh, you know, raise a fuss and, and get a number of people to keep it from going there, maybe we have a different conversation than we did the first time around. So I think there's space for all of that. Um, and it's just that's the challenge uh, and the nature of some of these public works. I mean, the Hadzi Memorial, we spent three years to, to develop the funding and um, get, allow him to find the pieces to create it. And there was this great antici anticipation and buildup before it was dedicated. And the community at that time just wasn't used to large-scale monumental works similar to what we're doing. Um, and of course it had some negative press and negative feedback and um, it, you know, that, that artist never wanted to come back to Appleton. As much as he loved the place and the community, he felt so stung by the, the publicity and maybe the negative uh, media stance or um, aspect that they, that they took that he just got kind of burned by it. So there's a, there's a reason um, to have these conversations with the public, and, and that's another one. Yeah. Um, for reference with um, to the listening community, um, Alex mentioned the collective, and that was that large head sculpture that was just at the beginning of College Avenue, and it was a head made up of smaller heads. Each were kind of a propane tank that were cut into um, different colors, and I actually thought it was a pretty beautiful piece, or is a beautiful piece, and that the colorations not only resemble, you know, certainly the differences in our um, ethnic makeup in our community, but also just aesthetically, it reminded me very much of the brick of those homes that were around it and the variation in the brick that built some of these large homes in that area. I actually thought it was a, it, it fit quite well where it is. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I mean, I, I, there was a very deliberate placement. Some some of these works are rather large, and you, there's only so many spaces that we have um, at our disposal to place them. And and that that particular entryway into downtown, it's a it's a uh, prime entryway into our civic space. It just felt like we need to place a sculpture there. And that one, of all the works we brought in uh, in season three, felt like it belonged in that space um, because it could command that space. Yeah, you know, and, and then, unfortunately, the neighbors didn't have our same appreciation for, you know, what it represented or maybe the, the color felt good. Their, their um, I guess, appreciation of it was slightly different, that it didn't fit their neighborhood. Sure. Um, you know, and everyone has a different opinion about art. You'll never get around that. 
And similarly, then, the Hadzi sculpture, that's the real large Dolomite sculpture that's just on um, Oneida Street coming into downtown. Also, a um, entry point similar to where the collective was, um, or how the collective is, just in a different space. And um, I remember when that went up, and people, yeah, they they really hated that piece. They said it was a, a basset hound sniffing a huge penis, and I think that's probably what people still see it as. But um, it's a shame when I think you can only see art in a certain way. And I remember that um, when the Post Crescent had run some some uh, original photos of it, the choice in images that they used for it really pushed the phallic nature of the sculpture. But when you have public art that you can walk around, I think if you're not seeing it in all those different views, you get a very um, slighted thought of what the piece actually is. Because if you walk around it and see all the different variations in um, the way that the stone was cut and shaped, the interior and exterior spaces, the um, scale of large and small, it's really a fantastic piece. And you frame that with the sky behind or the city the other way, and, and it's, it's, it's really a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, and I think that's the other part of the challenge of, of that work. It's, it's nestled out in the middle of sort of a, a green space with grass, but there's no... There's no solid approaches, pedestrian approaches to it. So very few people actually go up and experience it up close and personal. You're looking at it from a block away or half a block away as you're driving past it, and you have that appreciation of it, which is sort of, you know, bolsters the, the phallic nature of the sculpture. But if you actually get out of your car and you walk over to the work and walk through it and around it, it's a whole different experience. And it's also part of the things we think about when we're placing these works is, you know, you can drive past the collective every day for two years and, and have a certain appreciation for it. Maybe you don't like it. And, but if you actually drive up to it and then go walk and look at the faces and the artistry, artistry and actually walk around the work, you might just come up with a whole new appreciation for that work. So that's one of the things we consider when we're placing these pieces is to make sure that there's some access to it and you can actually get up close and personal. Um, one of the pieces that we just brought in for the next season is this great bronze, uh, natural-looking work, and you can actually sit on the thing. It doesn't look like you can because it's branches, but you can actually sit on it and interact with it. So one of our challenges right now is where are we going to place that where it's going to get a lot of exposure and people can come up and sit on it and maybe take some selfies um, and experience it. Why is it that you do this? Why did you start doing this, Alex? Because this seems like a lot of work and probably a lot, a lot of pressure. Uh, and... I don't know if I can ever answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> to my satisfaction. Uh, well, I, it was a need. I, I just saw a need, particularly when we realized there were, there were no active arts organizations. Now, to her credit, uh, Jennifer Stefani has been working on two-dimensional artworks and murals uh, with some of our really great uh, two-dimensional artists like Chad Brady and Arenio for for decades, and that's a long process that uh, ADI has been involved with for some time, and, and I saw them doing really good work and opening the dialogue and work with the city to allow people to paint, you know, really nice artworks on, on private uh, building spaces, so it's a little bit of a different conversation, um, but I really didn't see that happening in the sculptural world or the monumental sculpture world, and also saw that some of the pieces were gone, so I, I kind of stepped into the void um, because we needed someone to advocate for those artworks and get them back into the public sphere. So, you know, it took some time, but Aerial Landscape was restored, and Ralph Westfall, you know, six months before he passed away, was able to come back to Appleton to see a full restoration of that work, which is just, it was an exceptional 
uh, experience to be part of that process. Even though Sculpture Valley didn't play a big role, it was really on uh, our current mayor, who was with uh, Lawrence at the time, who sort of spearheaded that with Rob Nielsen um, and uh, Beth Zinsley from the Riston, that they got together and said, we've got to restore this, and they went through the process. And, of course, Bolt uh, always steps in to help do some of the heavy lifting, um, as they've done for us many, many times. So... Just uh, one example of a community and all the uh, stakeholders coming together to make, so- to, to make something right that was a wrong um, when the new president, Bernstein, came in uh, to Lawrence. So there's a great process. And we kind of went through the same thing with Metamorphosis. There were discussions with the city and Bolt and Sculpture Valley. How do we do this? How do we do this right? What does the stage look like? So we spent a bunch of time trying to figure out the size, the scale what that uh, foundation looked like because, um, you know, there was some intent with the way the original was designed to look like a stage and, and uh, you know, sort of Houdini uh, performing his metamorphosis trick on a stage. So I think we did that really successfully. And it didn't happen just because Sculpture Valley said, let's do it this way. It happened because we had these conversations with uh, architectural engineer and the city and public or park and rec and public works. And, and we all worked together to make this thing, um, you know, really take some time and get it done right. So... That's part of the process that you asked me, why would I want to be involved in that? <laughs> and I never sort of imagined that so much work goes into these things. Um, the discussions I had to have, particularly now that we have an arts commission within the city, to step through all the, all the various committee meetings and get approval, um, just never really anticipated that it would take that much time and energy. You think about artwork just kind of happening, um, but there's a lot that goes into the work behind it. And that, you know, not even touching on the fundraising aspect, which is a whole other creature um but i'm I'm in it i'm in it for the long haul i've done it uh i've been the executive director since the start and i and i don't see myself going away because it's still a void and we're we're doing great things so now we just need to step it up um get the support from the community and the and the community movers and shakers just keep this thing going and uh, bring it to the next level and i think we're getting there yeah no i i completely agree and you do a lot more with the community also than just this public sculpture. You you serve politically with the community, but then you also do smaller projects. I think you had something to do with the. Um, well, you have. Is it the Nomo May? Are you attached oh, yeah, to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm part of the Pol Enablers group. Pol- uh, yeah. yeah, but maybe I, I'm really curious about. Um, also why you decided you wanted to go into public office. You, you seem, um, I think this is self-flagellation maybe at this point, but um, what made you go into that? Is it tied to the way that you see service into the community? Is it tied into the way you just actually see yourself as a person who has a um, um, a desire to serve? I mean, you served in the military. You, you're always in some kind of... Um, wanting to give back to a larger sense. And is that what, how did you get into politics? Um, I think it probably came out of the work I had to do at the city for, for some of the sculpture stuff and the restorations. Um, and then just, you know, seeing opportunity where uh, I would like, there were conversations about changing certain things like establishing an arts commissioner, establishing a percent for art to, to sort of push forward this notion of the public taking on some ownership uh, of the arts assets in the community. Kind of like what and, Green Bay is doing right now, right? They have yeah, a that's, percentage? Yep, and then we want to get there. And I think maybe that was part of the part of the motivation. The other thing is I've, you know, I've done this work for the, the monument restorations, and we did this successful thing with the Doughboy, and I just knew 
going into that, if I were a little bit closer to the politics of it, it would be easier, I think, to have conversations with staff and, and maybe help direct these things um, with a little bit more clarity and not be just kind of an outside uh, advocacy agency. So that's a great place for us to be, but also felt like I could do more within the community. Of course, it led to a lot of other things that I felt like I could help with. And so that was sort of the in is looking at where I wanted to go with the arts and the monument restorations and having worked with the city to establish that fund in 2015. And then someone came coming up to me and said, you should run for all the person because you can work on the Soldier Square project and, um, you know, keep pushing the arts forward. And so, yeah, that leads to other things. Um, uh, we established the B-City and that we had to create this committee um, as part of that affiliate standing with the Xerxes Society. So we had to create an organization just like it created Sculpture Valley. So we created Paul Enablers Fox Cities, which is sort of an ad hoc committee of uh, beekeepers and naturalists uh, and people promoting um, pollination and, and pollinator friendly plantings throughout the city. So yeah, I'm part of that. I got to scale back on some of these things. I'm, I have a little bit of an ADD uh, attitude in life and approach. So, you know, I take on a little bit, I try to get the balls rolling, and then I hope people step in and sort of pick up um, as the thing moves along. So that group is well established. We're doing some really good work, um, and there's a lot of good people on it. So, you know, it's kind of, I guess that's the answer to the question. I, I just see needs, and if no one's filling them or, or taking them on, it's like, okay, I guess I can do that. And of course, I get myself far deeper into the projects than I should. Um, Artifix is another example. We had this idea of uh, putting out uh, an art vending machine, and that started at ADI, and we were sort of developing some notions and trying to figure out what ADI could do to promote the arts. And well, let's do this art machine. And it was an idea I brought forward, and and they said that was great, but I don't know if we have the time or energy to do it. And so I'm looking like, well, I love the idea, so I'm just going to do it. So, <laughs> so yeah. now I have, you know, I've got these art machines out there, and it's that also takes time and energy. And I'm also looking for. Um, assistance on that front as well. So, you know, again, I, I, I see an opportunity, I, I push it forward, and I think where I might I might be lacking is in just kind of keeping these things moving forward on my own. So always looking for other people to, to jump in if they have an interest in anything they see happening. And that that's true for every art endeavor in this city. What are some ways that um, you are looking for help for people? I mean, as, as the new season of um, Acre of Art comes around or and thinking about funding and thinking about space and where are you with all that? And, and what kind of um, public assistance are you looking for? Private assistance? Yeah, we have a, a really good uh, board of directors right now. It's in, it is Jennifer Stefani from ADI. So I've got all those great connections to the business community. I've got Christina Turner, who is the executive director for the Trout Museum. And she has done a fantastic job of turning that institution around. It's now, I think, a premier um, arts institution and contemporary art viewing space. And um, so she's great to have as part of our board of directors. I still have, you know, Rob Nielsen and Tony Conrad as uh, sort of um, board executives at large, a sense. Um, and there's a number of other members of the board that, you know, just contribute greatly to the cause. And so they're doing good work. Um, essentially, stuff still lands on my shoulders uh, as the executive director, but that's that's just the nature of running a nonprofit. Uh, from the community, I think it's just having this conversation and, and sharing with your friends, your relatives, or your employer that these things are really important to you so that we can get that funding. Um, so I've got eight sculptures coming in for this season. Some of them are actually just kind of uh, sitting in back of McFleshman's right now, and they're just waiting to be funded. 
uh, and having some decisions made about where we're going to put them in, in the Fox Cities. Um, but I still, need, I still need some financial support for those works. So I've been having conversations with some of the community leaders, and, you know, it's a long, drawn-out process. It can take months sometimes to, to sit down and have a meeting then let them go back to their boards. And, you know, it's a, it, it really can be arduous, and, um, you know, it's, just, it's a necessity of, of placing these pieces. It's $5,000 for a three-year lease. Now, if you put eight of those out there, you're looking at a $40,000 uh, budget just to get that season placed. And 40000 is not a, a large sum, but for a, for a small nonprofit, it's a lot of work to raise that money. So, yeah, I think uh, from my standpoint, just keeping the conversation going and really push for um, corporate sponsorship in some way, shape, and form because the money's out there. It's just a matter of convincing them that this is really worthwhile, which it is. Yeah. Well, and so I'm a, a practicing artist myself, and so I have a, a certain answer to this question I'm going to ask next. But when we're talking money and talking budgets and talking, you know, somewhat large amounts and getting corporate sponsorships, why is it important in this time to say, I'm going to spend money on a sculpture when there's so many other issues in the community, whether it's, you know, uh, inequality issues or housing issues or why is it important to to spend money on art when there seems to be fundamental things that maybe need to be addressed? I I don't think you can separate the two. I think art is fundamental to the quality of life in the community. I mean, our tagline on our on my business card is a community without art is invisible to the world, which it is. If you don't have a a strong, a vibrant um, community with which to live, you're not going to want to stay there, you're not going to want to work there, you're not going to want to move there to work at any job if you don't have a really vibrant community. And, and art, particularly public art, if, whether it's a mural or, or a sculptural piece, plays an incredibly uh, vital role in creating that sense of space, uh, and it just, it's essential. So, yeah, while it's not a, you know, a fund for taking care of the homeless or children in need, um, we have those programs. I mean, the, um, the basic uh, needs fund that the U.S. Venture does an incredible job everywhere, raising millions of dollars um, to, to help those in need in our community. It's great, and I wouldn't want to pull money from the people who donate to that, but, but art is essential in that quality of life. So sometimes it's hard for people to see that. It's just a piece of artwork. What, what good does it do? I'd rather put my money to the homeless or some other cause. Um, but to me, I can't separate the two. It's it's all one and the same. Building a, a great place to live and work is is what we're about. Um, and whether that's you know working through the pollen enablers and tra- trying to you know preserve our you know pollinating insects, or whether it's um, putting sculpture out in the community, or advocating for a little less street noise in College Avenue. It's all part of that same thing in my head. Is let's create a really nice place for people to live, work, and play that isn't you know. Um, doesn't have some of the negative aspects like noise or pollution or, you know, other things that uh, come at us on a daily basis. It's, I guess that's part of what drives me to public service as well, to try and take on some of those issues. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And and thinking about when you mentioned murals, and I think about um, the pieces that Masai um, Medina has been putting together, he did the um, mural on the side of Harbor House, and he did a, a mural... Um, downtown Appleton, and I think a lot of what he's doing is about awareness. Um, people might not have even been aware of Harbor House until he did that mural with um, the, uh, portraits of women on the side, and it really maybe starts to make people aware that the 
that that's an asset in our community. It's that it's a, that there's a need in our community, and maybe even bring an awareness to a problem that that maybe eludes a lot of people. And so I think having art in the area to not only bring joy and bring wonder, but also to bring a certain awareness to the issues, I think that is a a, a very good investment in the community. Yeah, I, and and the way he incorporates uh, the community in the in creating the works themselves. I mean, half of his mural pieces uh he involves uh school uh, students to come in and help him paint so it's summer of service when they're not in school they come out and help him put up these fantastic murals so he's engaging the community before the artwork is even complete and yeah. i think it's a really incredible approach um gets people talking about it the parents the kids um just how you know how special it was to take part in one of his mural projects and he's really taken off um since chad brady has kind of left the communities here on once in a while but chad was sort of the muralist at large and, and gave us so many great works, but it's nice to see someone's coming in behind and taking a slightly different tack uh, on how to create the murals and, and engaging the community, which I think is it's really special. It's fantastic. Yeah, I agree with that. So you're not all work, right, Alex? <laughs> you do you do something to kind well, of Well, when I'm playing, I'm back. working, yeah. So when I play, I'm just kind of working too, probably. But um, what do I do for, for leisure? I watch too yeah. much Netflix, probably. <laughs> What's the show that you're watching now? <laughs> oh, actually, it's oddly enough, I'm catching up with Sopranos because I never finished the series. So yeah, yeah. I'm back to that one, but yeah. Man, that's one of those series that I would love to be able to watch again with fresh eyes, like never yeah. seen it again or seen it prior to watch that for the first time again. Like that and Breaking Bad, I think, are two, two shows that would be just amazing to see uh, it's, as new. It, there's so much stuff now on, on uh, streaming or, or cable TV it's you can find so much good work there so yeah I guess that's my that's my one out if I'm, I'm relaxing I'm looking for the next great show on Netflix yeah no that's <laughs> gotta, gotta finish Peaky Blinders I'm on I think season two of that one so sometimes I watch a little bit and step away and like oh yeah I started that I should finish it I, I'm not really sure if, is that like is that vampires or something no no it's, okay uh, it's not supernatural no it's not it's like uh, I have no idea what it is <laughs> It's a little bit of a Ireland uh, game. Oh, that's right. Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of the early. That's yeah. right. Really interesting show. Maybe there'll be a vampire in an upcoming <laughs> episode. You're into vampires, or? Well, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I where I got that in, thinking it was a vampire show. Have you have you watched any of the things we do in the dark? I think that's what it's called. Oh, what, maybe what that's we, what, what we it do is. in the dark. Yeah. After, or, yeah, after, yeah. 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 That's that's a comedy, but it's right. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now my good friend Katerina, that's like one of her favorites, and she talks about that all the time. <laughs> and she talks about Peaky Blinders. So I think that's probably where I'm making <laughs> the, the mix up. Yeah, I just need to listen to Katerina a little bit more when she's talking about television. I guess <laughs> that's too funny. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, anything you want to leave us with with this conversation, or you know, people that are listening to this, and we're coming out of. I don't know. Hopefully we're coming out of this COVID wave. I don't know what's happening right now, but is there anything you want to leave us with thoughts or considerations? Something optimistic. Something optimistic. Something optimistic. Although I think well, this whole I, talk has been pretty optimistic. Well, there's new artworks coming out, so yeah. that's a good thing. And, and hopefully get them out before the snow flies. It might take us a little time. Um, I just hang in there, get out and, and do what you can, even though we're still working through this ridiculous, uh, disease or um, I it's a real challenge when I think about COVID and the fact that it might be a long-term thing and you know 
we've, we've made it this far and we're hoping we're coming out of it, but we just see these waves coming and who knows when the theta variant will show up and we'll have to go through another round of this. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, we're all sort of fatigued by it and it's just a matter of hanging in there and trying to, trying to keep moving forward and, um, you know, get outside, get some fresh air, take your mask off and go see some public art. I mean, that's the great thing about the stuff we're doing is you can do it safely during a, a, <laughs> a crisis like the one we're in. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'd leave on that. No, I think and that's a great idea. And instead of spending, you know, 10 minutes looking at a painting, um, maybe I'm going to suggest, and I'm sure Alex would suggest this also, I hope everyone that's listening to this goes and sits down in front of, or in case of this new sculpture it's going to go sit down on top of, but at least sit down in front of a, one of these public art pieces and, and stare at it for 10 minutes and maybe learn something new about what this artist was trying to um, to tell the community, to tell... You know, to tell you specifically. Um. Yeah, if you're, um, people may not know um, the scale of the acre of art. It's actually, uh, you know, from north side of Appleton all the way down to Nina. So there are there are 22 works currently in the season. Some of them may be going home soon, um, and we have eight more coming out. So we have nearly 30 works of public art, and you can find all of them. Uh, on Otocast, O-T-O-C-A-S-T, which is a, a art touring app that was developed by someone out in um, D.C., and he's done a fantastic job. So I would download that app. You can pull up. Our Acre of Art will be the first thing that shows up once you open the app, and just hit the tour. It's got uh, audio files, uh, maps, and walking tours. And um, once you get to a piece, there's you're going to find a plaque uh, that tells you the name of the work, the title, um, the author, uh, the artist, and who sponsored it. So the information's out there. Sometimes it's a little hard to get to, but if you see a work, please get up close and personal to it. Find the plaque. It's usually within 10, 15 feet of the artwork. Sometimes it's right on it. Sometimes it's on a pole a little bit away. Um, and then kind of uh, use the app and, and go look at more of them. They're all over the place. So I hope people get out and experience them more and become more aware of the work that we're doing. Um, it really does create a, a, a nice sense of space, and, and we're, we're doing good stuff. So just get out there and see it. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for doing the work you do, and and um, letting these artists have a place to share their work and the community a place to view it. So thanks for what you do. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I guess uh, who's, who do you have on next? I'm curious to know who you're going to bring in. Well, our plan well, is uh, Rebecca Zorno to be the next person. She just published a um, a fiction book, her her debut fiction book. Although she's done some um, nonfiction prior, um, we're going to talk about her her new book and uh, what she does with the um, the book fest that's coming up pretty soon. As well as she um, started a, a school with her husband Oliver down in Haiti, and I kind of want to get a, uh, a read on how things going down there because well, Haiti's always always needs some help. But yeah, particularly so, now. Yeah, that's great work. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. I'm, I'll look forward to hearing that one. You yeah. should bring Christina Turner on as well. Talk about the, the new trout and the, and the new vision she has for that space. I think that'd be a good one. Yeah, I'm sure that'll happen. All right. Well, thanks, Alex. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you again for checking out FSM the podcast. If you're listening to this on a podcast app, please consider clicking subscribe to get upcoming episodes direct to your feed. Or if you're listening to us through Anchor FM or on our website, fsm.inc, you can search for us on FSM the podcast on your favorite podcast app and find us there. Until next time, remember art is not a privilege.
Sim. E 